Hi everyone and welcome back to the Virtual Voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm your host, Abigail Snyder, and this is the Armchair Travel Show where you don't have to leave your comfort zone. If your comfort zone is your car, you stay there. If your comfort zone is your dorm room, you stay there. And if your comfort zone is your living room, you stay there. Last time on the Virtual Voyage, we were in Israel and we visited King David's tomb and the upper room where Jesus was said to have his last meal with his disciples. We saw how both of those places were not authentic, maybe, by by archaeological evidence and some of the historical data. We took out our authenticity meter at those sites, and we saw how, while they're nice places to visit and to get a visual, they probably aren't the actual real sites for those two places. We also went to the Temple Institute, and we saw the very articles that the Jews will, Jews will use when sacrifices and, uh, and other commandments from the Torah are reinstated at the Third Temple, such as the, the priests wearing their robes and the Holy of Holies and the articles needed in there. Super cool that we got to visit that place, and when we see on the news that the Third Temple is being rebuilt and that the sacrificial system is being reinstated, you've seen just what they will use. Today, yeah, probably should explain that one to you. I'm sick. Not badly, but my voice is off, as you can probably tell. Part of traveling usually involves sickness, unfortunately. Think about it. We get in a plane. We're in a plane for around 12 hours or so, and we're breathing that air. We're with all these other people in a very confined area, and then we have to go and and get off, and we're in this new place, this new site in the world, and and we're not used to maybe the various germs and, and whatnot. You know, in the United States, we build up kind of that that, that reference point to all the germs and we're able to, to build up that tolerance to them and then, then we go somewhere else and it's just totally different. And so usually when I travel, I, I end up getting sick and that's just kind of part of traveling. Usually when my family has always gone to Israel, there's about one week in our, in our summer where we all just kind of fall under the weather and it's, it's not so fun. Uh, but usually it's not such a big deal. This time it is because I'm your tour guide and, and it's a problem when the tour guide's voice is bad or when the tour guide is sick. So I've devised a little bit of a solution to help me today. We're going to go down, before I even explain where we're going, we're going to go to the mini market, and it's a 24-6 mini market, and we're going to get some wheatgrass shots and some other things that will hopefully bring my voice back to some amount of normalcy. But did anyone catch what I just said? 24-6 mini market? Hmm. The joke in Israel is things aren't open 24-7, like here in the United States where it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Rather, in Israel, they're open 24-6 because of the Shabbat. Shabbat, we haven't seen that yet, but the Shabbat for Jews is their Sabbath, where the entire country literally shuts down from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, which is given to them as a commandment in the Torah. Some areas shut down more than others. Some some Orthodox Jewish settlements will be totally shut down. You won't even see a cat going across the street. And then some places like Tel Aviv, it might not be as shut down as you, as you would see in other places because that's more of a secular city. So we haven't seen a Shabbat here in Israel yet, but one is coming up and your mind will be blown. I am certain. When I first saw a Shabbat, I couldn't believe it. We come here and we step out in Jerusalem and there's, there's cars that are about to run you over as you're walking down the street, right? Guess what? All the cars are basically stopped because Jews don't drive during Shabbat. So all of a sudden you can walk out into the street and the likelihood of you getting hit is, is basically none. The light rail system, the light rail that's ready to kind of run you over if you don't get out of the way, right? The light rail system is totally shut down as well. No public transportation. It's honestly really unique to see a place like like Israel come to basically a stop. It's something we don't have in the United States, right? Our country never just stops. 
maybe Thanksgiving or Christmas Day you might see that, but but rarely ever do we just see a stop, especially not once a week. Really is a unique thing about Israel. And so we will see one soon, and I cannot wait. Anyways, there's a 24-6 mini market just over this way. So grab your bags, let's exit the hostel, and please, let's take care of your tour guide. So I'm going to grab my items needed for my wellness. Take a look around, though. Some products will look familiar. They'll have English on them, and, and they'll have the exact same pictures you'd see in the grocery stores back at home. Some of them will have the same pictures, but they'll be in Hebrew. And some of them will be products that are totally unique to Israel, and you'll have never seen anything like it before. On a side note, are you familiar with the candy Mentos? It's the kind that comes in that tube of sorts, and you peel it off, and you can chew on it, and eventually it dissolves. It's just that pure sugar. Well, come over here. It's right over here. Look at this. It's the same stuff we have in the United States, but I just have to tell a funny story. My siblings are hooked on it. They save all the shekels they find in the light rail tracks to go to a mini mart like this one, and they buy all the Mentos that they could possibly get. But the Mentos here in Israel are the same as in the United States. However, I've never found Mentos in our house in the United States. I only find them in our Israel house. It's like some miracle candy they only find in Israel, but it's not. It's funny how that works. Okay, so I have my items needed for my wellness, so let's officially get started here on the virtual voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Today, we're heading down to the area of the Western Wall, which means it's our favorite route, down Jaffa Street, across the busy road, and then through the market. Okay, so we made great time. Let's head through the market, but this time, guess what I'm going to give you? I'm going to give you the chance to finally uh, make good on my promise where I say that you can experience the market with all of your senses. This time, I'm actually going to let you experience it with taste. I want to get a juice to kind of help my throat stay alive for the duration of the tour, and I think you should try it too. Here in the market, people will actually press you a fresh juice. They'll take the fruit or, or, or whatnot that's been delivered to them right by maybe someone, one of the farmers, and they'll get to their stand, and they'll literally cut it open in front of you and actually squeeze it right there. That is as fresh as you can possibly get. The prices are also way more reasonable than in the United States. I'm going to ask for a mix of Get, get this, pomegranate juice and orange juice. Pomegranates are super popular in Israel. You think about pomegranates in the United States, we maybe see some of that, that juice and some of the pomegranates around, but rarely. And it's also very expensive. But in Israel, pomegranates are a, are a huge, uh, huge fruit that everyone loves. Also, orange juice is just a classic vitamin C. Sounds like a weird combination. I have faith, though. And I'm hoping it will really put me back to 100% here as your tour guide. Go ahead, get the mix if you'd like. Or if you just want a straight fruit, go for it. Most of the vendors can speak English well. They'll all be able to get the idea out of what you're asking for. Be brave, but I'm also going to give you a chance to step out of what I call the tourist shell. Not tortoise, but tourist shell. I'm going to let you speak some Hebrew to these vendors. Here's what you're going to say. You're going to start with shalom. And shalom is the Hebrew word for peace. Essentially, it's like a hello here in, in English. And then what you're going to say, if you see a man, you will say, Ata mavin inglit. Do you speak English? Do you understand English? If you see a woman, ask her, At mavina inglit. Do you, a female, understand English? So go ahead, try that, and then get your juice. Mm -mm -mm. Delicious, isn't it? I mean, it's so fresh. And 
with this level of organic, I'm sure I'll be back to normal in no time. So it's time to continue our walk through the market, and today we're going over to the Davidson Archaeological Park. It's right over by the Western Wall, so we have to go ahead and enter in through the Western Wall security checkpoint. And here we go. It's the entrance to the Davidson Archaeological Park, and, and this park, or the Davidson Center, it's right next to the Western Wall. In fact, you have to understand, this wall that we're seeing over here, that actually is the Western Wall. Part of the Western Wall runs over here to the Davidson Archaeological Park, and part of the Western Wall runs farther that way, even. It's not quite just that area that people pray at. People, sometimes, who want to come in and pray in a more quiet area of the Western Wall that not as many people know about will come to the Davidson Center and, and do just that. This place is going to allow us to step back in time. It has well-preserved ritual baths, and we'll talk about what that is, mikvahs. It has stones. It gets more exciting than that, don't worry. And even steps that people going up to the temple walked up. Excavations were begun in this area in the 1970s or, or so, and that was after the Jews had full control of the area. And wow, isn't it an amazing place, and I'm so thankful that we can be here right now. There's a little museum on the inside we can walk through, so let's get out of the, the heat here uh, of the desert and let's walk on through that. I do want to get back outside, but, but just take a look around. You're going to notice some coins, some pottery, and so much more that's all been discovered right here and then categorized and kept uh, inside this little museum. I mean, just look at these Roman coins, thousands of years old, and this pottery. Try to imagine maybe a woman just filling up water in that little in that little piece of pottery, and then and taking that jar, and then and then giving it to her children. That all happened with these vessels that we're seeing right in front of us. It's pretty cool. So now let's go ahead and walk outside into the sun and into the fresh air. Step onto this road. This road right here. It doesn't exactly look like a modern day road, but it's it's kind of just this this stone pathway, and, and I want you to walk along it. Okay, think about this. This is a street from the time of the second temple, from the time of Jesus. And it's so well preserved that we can literally walk on it today. It's crazy. The likelihood of Jesus and other prominent figures walking right along this path that we're on now is, is very high. It's right along the temple. People would have come here. There, there are actually remains of stores along the street that would have most certainly been very busy as pilgrims sojourned to the temple and, and made their way up to the temple mount to worship. Now look over here. Walk down this same, the same path that Jesus probably was on and, and come over here. See these absolutely massive stones. They're, they're lying together just in piles. It's a little odd. Well, these stones would have comprised the top of the Western Wall. And many people say that these stones were actually knocked off the top by Roman soldiers in 70 AD when Jerusalem was destroyed. Think about that. These are huge, very, very heavy stones that were on the top of the Western Wall. And there are literal soldiers probably knocking these off and then actually creating indents in the road here as they fell. Now, another major archaeologist in Israel, Shimon Gibson, keep his name in mind, you'll hear a lot about him, He's declared that he believes an earthquake knocked them off. And, and so, of course, among archaeologists, there's always discrepancies, and that's his take on it. Regardless of the reason, I think it's pretty cool that stones that sat on the western wall are now on the ground in front of us. Okay, look up, right up again. Do you see a very small remnant of an arch that's coming out of the wall? See that right there? Yeah, that's called Robinson's Arch. It's named after the prominent Israeli ar ar archaeologist, and he discovered it in the 1800s. 
It's funny to think that most things get named for people who discover them. Robinson's Arch, named after the guy who discovered it. Hey, maybe it's incentive for some kids listening to the virtual voyage to become an archaeologist. So this arch would have been the foundation for carrying the weight of a massive tiered staircase that people could have used to get up to the Temple Mount. And then I want you to take a guess as to who built this. Does the name King Herod sound familiar? As in the same guy who also built the Western Wall and completed many other renovations up there on the Temple Mount, we owe Robinson's Arch to him too, and not just the arch, but rather the staircase that would have been here. The arch and then the staircase that corresponded with it was completed in around 20 BC. Okay, I know it doesn't look that splendid right now. I mean, okay, in all fairness, it sort of looks like a plant holder, considering we see all of the ivy growing on that little stub out of the arch. But try to imagine all of these steps, these two levels of steps going up from this level of the road all the way up there to the Temple Mount. I mean, that's a big wow for 20 BC, and that's surely an engineering feat. Before we head over to the next section here on the virtual voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM, let's stop here and look at this mikvah. Maybe that's an unfamiliar term. Well, we're going to unpack that now. The Jews had to have a way to ritually purify themselves, as it's mandated in the Torah that they are clean. So, for example, if they became unclean by coming into contact with a dead body, then they will be ritually impure. That's just one example. Some of the examples are th things I don't want to discuss if you get the gist, but you're welcome to look them up later. So the mikvah isn't necessarily a way to get rid of physical uncleanliness. Uh, the Jews argue instead that it's rather a way to become spiritually clean. It's, it's, a, it's a ritual. So as you can see in front of us, they would go down into this, this bath of sorts. And I do use the word bath because there is water associated with the mikvah. And many Jews have argued over the years concerning what water is or is not allowed. Many rabbis argue that only spring water or rainwater is allowed to fill the mikvah. Most of them would argue that water coming through a pipe, like when we turn on the shower or we turn on our faucet, that, that water that comes through pipes, that's subject to becoming unclean by touching the pipes of vessel. So there's this idea associated with the mikvah of living water, where the water has to be alive for it to be valid to be a cleansing portion of the mikvah. I'm going to go on a little tangent here because we talk about living water in Christianity too. We talk about Jesus Christ being being the fountain of living water and, and, how, um, and how he really is, it cleanses us, right? But in reality, that idea stems from the Jews and the mikvah. The Jews say that the water used for the mikvah can't be tap water. And like I said, it's mostly agreed that the water has to be living uh, spring or rain water. And there are a lot of technicalities for refilling the mikvah. I'm not going to go into that right now. Just keep in mind that for the basic and for the first filling of the mikvah, they want it to be living water, which is that spring or rain water. Now, I want you to think about the Christian conception of, of baptism. It's something that Christians believe must be done either to a baby or after someone older places faith in Christ as the Savior. And today in Christianity, I mostly hear baptism described as a way to show that Christians are buried with Christ by going under the water and then risen to walk with him by coming out of the water. It's a symbol. And I would have agreed with that for the most part uh, before going to Israel. But we have to think back now to the early Christians because they were the ones who instituted baptism, right? It wasn't something a more modern concept. Rather, we, we read about people being baptized back in Acts and the, the earliest Christians. And we have to think about those earliest Christians. Well, they were Jews by birth. So baptism was not just this concept that was invented out of the blue. It stems from the idea of ritual immersion and cleansing in the mikvah. So this idea of, of, 
of being ritually cleansed and immersed in that living water, not necessarily being buried with Christ and risen to walk with him, even though, sure, that, that, can, that can be a way that we, we conceptualize it. But rather, when we think about Jesus himself being baptized by John the Baptist, what that really was is, is Jesus is almost going into the mikvah here, this, this fountain of living water, and he's, he's being baptized. But really, the people who are watching him, they're thinking about that more so in terms of a mikvah. So maybe that's a new way for you to look at baptism and, and to understand it from a more Jewish perspective. Also, you might find this about the mikvah, going back to the Jewish side of things. Jews actually have to go naked into the mikvah. They say that there must be nothing that acts as a barrier between the water that purifies them and then their skin. So everything from clothes to makeup to jewelry, even nail polish on nails, that has to be off before someone immerses. And so there are many debates that go on. Um, between people as to even if dreadlocks are allowed, does, do, do dreadlocks um, allow the water to touch all aspects of the hair and all the little hairs? Um, and, and sometimes even there will be people to inspect Jewish women to make sure that they, they have uh, been taken off all, all jewelry, all nail polish, etc. Also, look over here. Come here. Yeah, do you see this little division? Look down. Yeah, right here at the top of the steps. This divides the steps into two sides. The Jews would go down the mikvah as impure, right? And then they come out as pure. And so they wouldn't want to go down and up on the same side because one side they're impure, one side they're pure. So they would actually go down on this side and they'd exit from the other side. So why are we seeing this mikvah right here? And why are we going to see many other mikvahs uh, in this various complex that we're going to walk around in? Well, we have to understand that one of the times that the Jews had to ritually purify themselves was before they could enter the Temple Mount. So this mikvah here is one of many around, uh, around this area acting as a supply for all of the Jews that would have needed to become clean before they ascended to the Temple Mount as their pilgrims coming to Jerusalem. Like I said, you're going to see a lot more as we walk around. In fact, my siblings and I have almost made it like a, a contest to find as many mikvahs as we can whenever we walk around some excavations at various sites that, that would have been home to many Jews and, and been a Jewish settlement. So if you see anything that has some steps or kind of that, that idea of going down and then an area that looks like it could pool of water, probably the best idea is that it's a mikvah. Today, mikvahs are kind of like spas in Jewish communities. That's not totally accurate, especially in our more American brains, but it's probably the best way for you to picture it. Let me explain. You have to understand that there are, first of all, still some live mikvahs, like the one that we're seeing here that Jews will go in that have been used for thousands or hundreds of years. But mikvahs also have been built today in communities in Israel, so people can go to this bathhouse of, so a bathhouse, uh, of sorts and, and cleanse. So even if a Jewish person hasn't become unclean in the truest sense, such as touching a dead body, which would make them ritually un unclean, ritually impure, they like to attend a mikvah as often as possible because they argue that it helps them be clean before God and have their soul cleansed. So the mikvah essentially is just the, the, the bathhouse mikvahs that I'm talking about today is essentially where uh, built in Jewish communities where Jews can come together and um, they can go and, and be cleansed because they don't have all of the live mikvahs uh, that were available in ancient times available today. Now on to the next section. We're heading to the holy gates. Now look over here. Are, okay, are you confused? I, I was a little bit too. You're probably not seeing anything that's gate-like. We don't see any entrances. That's the idea of a gate. We go through it. And that's because the Holda gates, they were once an entrance and exit to the Temple Mount. They're designed by Herod. Yep, same guy. So at one point, you could go in them and come out of them. Not anymore. 
Now, these steps here were added to the gate to make it more accessible. Let's actually walk up them right now to the gates that we can't get through. As we're walking on them, I want you to think about this. This gate was a very popular entrance to the Temple Mount, and the likelihood of Jesus himself being on these steps is extremely high. In fact, I would argue that with almost 100% certainty, Jesus was here. As a Jew, Jesus kept up with the sacrificial system, so he had to go to the Temple Mount. And we know the Bible details several accounts where he was up at the temple. Now, this gate on the eastern side here was reserved for entrance to the Temple Mount during busy times. And, and look over here, this gate in the west, that was re reserved for only exiting. However, if there were people that were coming to the temple in mourning, they could reverse it and enter through the gate in the west side and exit through the gate in the east side. Why? Well, think about if you're, if you're a sojourner coming to Jerusalem and you've just lost maybe a mother or a brother or a daughter and you're really sad, and, and, but there are a lot of other Jewish friends that maybe you haven't seen in a while also coming and they want to be joyous and they want to go and run and hug you, but you're sad. And so you actually would walk in another way and then they'd know, oh, okay, she's walking another way. I understand she's upset or he's upset. I got it. And then they wouldn't go and, they, and they'd be more understanding. I only learned about this place here on my second trip to Israel when a friend took us here, but I hope you're as stunned as I am to see a place like this that is so authentic. I mean, there is so much more that we could explore here, and I encourage you on one of our free days to come here and just enjoy the past and reading the signs, and you have to understand that both Second Temple period Jewish and then later Byzantine neighborhoods were here at points in history. You can go in the remains of the houses and, and see how those people might have lived. That's something you can do without me, though. Well, we've had quite a day. The Davidson Archaeological Park is one of my favorite places because you can learn so much about Jewish culture from just walking around and seeing what was here. Okay, and then you also have to admit that those steps and now sealed gates that we saw were pretty cool. As you think back on that, remember, Jesus and many other prominent people in the Christian and Jewish faith were most certainly there. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Virtual Voyage, the armchair travel show with me, Abigail, on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I hope you'll tune back in next time as we stay in Jerusalem, but go to the Mount of Olives and see some of the sites over on the other side of the Kidron Valley. We're going to see where Jesus was arrested after the betrayal of Judas, get an amazing view of the Temple Mount, and so much more. That's coming up next on The Virtual Voyage.